Love is spiritual, not natural. You ever think about that? This is absolutely miraculous. With love, you get the results now. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to Deep Water where uh, our, our sort of thing is let's start talking about what's important. Uh, let these be conversation starters uh, to talk to your significant other, to talk to people at work, to invite someone over for pizza and say, hey, how about we enjoy some time together, laugh, play a card game or whatever, and talk about some things that are important. Um, spiritual issues, controversial issues, issues that are really big in the world right now, uh, issues where we get stuck and need a helping hand, all sorts of issues. Um, we've talked about the Black Lives Matter, we've talked about gender issues. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to uh, be afraid to address anything, but I want you to know I, I'm not at all saying I have the answers. Um, I'll give my two cents and then let's start the discussion. And today um, we're talking about death, dying, and funerals. Um, I am weird in so many ways. I'm dyslexic. I'm ADD, ADHD, I guess you would say. Uh, probably a couple other Ds they haven't discovered yet. Um, but I love funerals. Now, that hasn't always been the case in my life, but I do. I'd much rather today go to a funeral than a wedding. Think about it. If you go to a wedding, there's a 50% chance that the reason you're there is uh, not valid because they're going to end up getting a divorce or separating half the time. All right? So you're celebrating something that 50% of the time is going to end in failure. Well, uh, funerals are 100%, aren't they? Uh, you know exactly why you're there and that issue is not going to change in the future. Um, but that's not why I like them. Um, I like them because every time I go to a funeral, it makes me reevaluate me. And there is a chance if I reevaluate me for positive change. Uh, I have a friend who was in the FBI for uh, 20 years and I asked him what he learned. He said, number one, everybody lies and number two, nobody changes. And, and he said, now, I should immediately say, yeah, every once in a while someone changes. But in, in general, people don't change. And, and most people will try about 10 times in their life to change and not be able to do it any of the ten. Uh, so uh, uh, my, my friend at the FBI said it's probably 99% people don't change. 1% change. Okay, But at a funeral, that, that evidence of my mortality is all of a sudden front and center right in my face and I can't turn away from it. I can't just think about something else. Not at that funeral. Okay, and so it it forces me to look the the most feared reality in my life in the eye for an hour or two, 
and that can have an effect on me. And I believe I have changed after a couple of funerals um, that I went to. Um, one of my earliest memories of my entire life is my grandfather's funeral. Um, he was uh, he had a car wreck, and he didn't die from the car wreck, but he died shortly after that. And I was probably you know three four years old, and uh, I don't really remember going to the funeral, but I think I was there. But what I do remember is for over a year after that night terrors, waking up screaming, and the nightmare was that lid of the casket opening, my grandfather sitting up, who I'd never particularly liked. In fact, to be honest, he kind of scared me a little bit. And then getting out of the casket and coming after me. And that's probably when I started screaming. But that's one of my earliest memories, uh, and it's very vivid. And over the years, 30 years or so, that I've been doing counseling and therapy, virtually every client I have ever had has some death memory from way, way, way back when they were young. In fact, to a lot of my clients, their memory of a funeral or death is the earliest memory of their life. It's the first thing they can remember in their life. And we know that uh, one of the things that causes that is when something happens, it's, it's labeled as a trauma or not based on how much adrenaline is released. And the bigger the trauma, the more protected that memory is by the unconscious mind. Because it may be a life or death situation and uh, I may need 20 years from now to act in a split second to save my life on some of the information from that life or death memory, okay? So those memories are prioritized and protected inside us, but it also tells us that we have a lot of adrenaline released at, uh, at funerals. Well, why could that be? Fear! It's fear! Uh, really, I'm going to stand up a while now. Got going a little bit. All fear is ultimately a fear of death. All fear. Why? Because our fear mechanism, the physical mechanism in us, the fight or flight mechanism, the stress mechanism, is only supposed to be activated in an actual life or death situation. It's only supposed to be activated to save your life in the next five minutes. And at no other time is it supposed to be activated. When it's activated and it's not a life or death physical situation, that's a malfunction, not a correct functioning. The correct functioning is that is only activated when my life is in imminent mortal danger in the next five minutes. But, excuse me, what studies show today is that the average person is going into fight or flight stress five to 30 times every day. 
not once a year or twice a year, you know, when that 18-wheeler is about to pull over on me or uh, I'm, I'm real close to some car accident or, or, or something strange happens and I'm about to fall off of a big drop. That's the only time it's supposed to be activated. Once, twice a year at most. And yet, today, it's being activated in the average person five to 30 times every day. Over what? Over it raining when I wasn't expect it, expecting it to rain. Over the stock market going down. Over a traffic issue where somebody cuts in front of me. Over someone, some news at work that uh, was not what I was hoping for. Bad news. Uh, some nagging health problem that makes me angry or irritated or, or fearful. Uh, when I was about 24, I had severe acid reflux and I was afraid I had cancer of the esophagus. That drove myself and my wife nuts for about a year to find out, no, I, I didn't have any sort of cancer and take this pill and it'll go away. And it did. And then later I healed the source of it. But anyway, for over a year I was terrified I was going to die because of, of this uh, thing in my throat. Um, over the mail coming, over IRS on the letterhead. Uh, it, it's all day every day now. Well, how did that happen? It happened because of a devolution, not evolution, which is kind of upward change, but a devolution in our memories. And, and the way it happens is we now know that memories, especially trauma memories, are passed down from generation to generation. So when my great-great-great-great-grandfather had this traumatic thing happen during the Civil War, most likely that got passed down and can be in me today. All right. When the Depression happened to my mom and dad, who both told me it had a very profound impact on their life. That got passed down and most likely is in me. It's passed down in the sperm and the RNA. And both of those have been confirmed by multiple studies. Okay, What does that mean? It means that every generation passes its, its fearful life or death trauma memories down to the next generation. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong is that about 90% of those, based on the research, are not life or death situations. So you're having passed down a malfunction, not a correct functioning. And the malfunction is for you to get upset from a little bit to a lot when there's no reason to get upset. Anger, irritation, frustration, sadness, hopelessness, helplessness, all of those come from a root of fear. Every negative emotion that exists and, and stress comes from a root of fear. All right? And that fear is supposed to activate your fight or flight so that you can run faster or fight harder to save your life. Only the great majority now, you're not in any life or death danger. And yet, your fight or flight system is being turned on over and over and over and over in a malfunction.
Well, what's the big deal about that? Well, when your fight or flight system is turned on, your digestion is turned off or down. When your, digest when your fight or flight is turned on, the very first thing turned off is your immune system because it uses the most energy. And you need that energy right now to fight or run and flee. Okay? But the problem is there is no emergency. So now your immune system is turned off or down as a malfunction and that is how you get illness or disease. In fact, according to Dr. Bruce Lipton at Stanford Medical School, it's the only way you can get illness or disease. Okay? So ultimately, all fear is a fear of death because that system is only supposed to be turned on in a manner of life or death. Okay? So you are going through your day treating um, treating that your your new socks didn't get here today as if it were literally a matter of life or death and whether the and what the weather does today is life or death now for some people not so much but for about 75% of us consistently and the other 25% a good bit or a little bit. Alright? So just understand that. That all fear is a fear of death is only supposed to happen once or twice a year but it's happening 5 to 30 times a day and when it happens your stress switch is turned on which gives you negative thoughts, negative feelings, negative emotions, turns off or down your immune system and you don't want that, okay? That's what you want for your happy, healthy, best life. Um, so how are you at funerals? I know people who avoid them like the plague. Uh, my two cents is that if that's you, if you really hate funerals, it's because you don't like what's inside you. And when you're forced to confront death, which a funeral cause you can't get away from it really. Uh, I mean, I guess you could put your earbuds in and turn rock and roll music up real loud and close your eyes. And, but I've never seen anybody do that. So absent that, you're going to be confronted with death, all right? Which causes you to think about your own death, which causes you to look inside at your heart and mind and spirit to see Am I ready? And that is what I love about funerals. Is it forces me to think about what's really important, how I'm living, and am I ready? And um, what I would encourage you to do is to go there without it having to be a funeral. Today or tomorrow, go out and walk or pray or meditate and think about when you die. It is the only thing that is for sure, uh, about the only thing that's for sure in this world, is that you are going to die someday. Alright? And, and, and I think because of that, we should regularly, maybe once a month, maybe once a week, maybe a couple of minutes a day, think, okay, 
I'm going to picture myself in the box or in the urn of ashes or, or, or whatever is the way you think that you're going to go. When that time comes, am I ready to go? Or are there things that I wish I had done that I hadn't done or things I wish I hadn't done that I did do and I needed to make right? Okay? So a funeral can be a great time or, or thinking about death can be a great time to reevaluate your life and your priorities. And I would absolutely recommend that you do that. That is part of, uh, of maybe your meditation this week to imagine you know you're dying. Even you got six months. What do you do? What do you change? You know you're dying and you've got one month. What do you do? You know you're dying and you've got one day. What do you do? Well, make a list, make a plan to start doing those things now even though you're not dying and make a plan to make those things right that you need to make right before you no longer have any time. Um, I had a client who called me a few years ago and his father had just died and he was very close to his father and he was just devastated and the reason he called me is he said they've asked me to speak at the funeral and I don't think I'm going to be able to do it and, and will you please help me to try to be able to speak at the funeral and um, so I did some of the some of the weird uh, work that we do and been doing for 20 years to try to help people lower their stress and negative emotions and um, so I gave him a process to do for that it took about five minutes he had to get on a plane to go there so it was going to be he's going to have about 24 36 hours before the actual funeral and he was just absolutely convinced that um, he was not going to be able to do it it was going to cause this big uh, upheaval at the funeral and was going to make him feel horrible but, uh, but, but, but it, he at least uh, said he would try. And the one tip I gave him was um, to, to think about the good things with his dad, not to think about him being dead, lying in a box, but to think about all the wonderful times they had, and then to do this five-minute process that I gave him to do. He called me uh, about a day and a half later. He was still at his... Uh, the hometown where he grew up. He hadn't flown back yet. And his voice sounded just totally, totally night and day different. And um, he said, hey, Dr. Lloyd, it's me. And I said, ah, I've been praying for you. How did it go? Tell me. And he, uh, he started crying. And he said, it went better than I ever could have imagined. He said, I was doing that process that you gave me to do in the airplane. And all of a sudden, all the fear went away. And I, without any effort at all, started almost like reliving all the wonderful, wonderful times that my dad and I had had. And I just was... The, the, the um, anger and fear was replaced with gratitude and thankfulness and joy that I had, you know, my whole life with this wonderful man. And not everyone is that fortunate. 
And he said he got up and he spoke about his father and used pictures and people laughed and cried and came up and hugged him, told him what a great job he did and, and it was just wonderful. And, um, and, and I've heard that from a number of others uh, who I've helped in similar situations. So I, I would recommend that for you too. Is um, uh, Man... We are, us humans, we are really good at messing up relationships. And I've known so many situations, even, even one in my own family, where family didn't talk for decades because of some internal uh, rift and, and could maybe hate each other more than they would hate anyone else and and this person they're hating is their brother or their mom or their son or or you know something like that really tragic tragic stuff um but i've seen that many many times i would recommend that with thinking about your funeral or going to a funeral um Start thinking about the positive things. Think, remember the good times, okay? And, and even if this is someone that you're furious about, I bet there's one or two good memories, or at least okay memories, in there somewhere. And if there aren't any, then put the negative stuff you have with them in the context of helping you from now on for the rest of your life to be an even better person. Uh, one of the problems is it, when, when that um, death and dying is so traumatic to us, and it is, especially when it's someone close to us or someone that we have strong feelings about. That fear and anger and, and sense of dread comes over us and we just sort of let it do its thing. Well, don't do that. Throw that blanket off and say, no, I'm not just going to let my mind, will, and emotions run amok and do whatever they want. I'm going to, I'm going to take the steering wheel. I want to think about these things, okay? Not those things. And think about the things that are joyful, positive, that you can be grateful for. Um, uh, the, the, worst, the worst deaths I can think of would be um, the death of a child. Um, I, I don't know anything that, that's more tragic than that. Uh, but, but, you can find a positive. They're not going to have to go through a lot of pain and suffering that they would have had to go, go through. Depending on your worldview, you may believe there's something far better than this life waiting for them, or th try to think about the positive as far as their family or other, other relationships you have connected to this that you can be a source of support, love, and encouragement. There's always a possible positive outlet if you look for it. Let a funeral, death, or dying cause you to look for it and love that person, encourage that person, help them through it. Think about the good, the positives, uh, and, and it's going to help you more than you think, I believe, 
in those kind of situations. We, we typically just let the negative hit us and do whatever it wants. And, and it'll beat us to a pulp sometimes. Don't, don't let it do that. Take control of the steering wheel and steer your mind, will, emotions, and heart. And pray and ask God for, for miraculous help with that. Um, one thing I think is, uh, is really important about this is one of the most wonderful things I've ever been a, ever been a part of in 30 years of counseling and therapy is people who are dying and they are dying well. Meaning uh, they're not trying to hurt everybody. They're not, oh, poor pitiful me. They are dying with grace. They are dying with love, joy, and peace. Uh, They are dying um, saying everything that they need to say with nothing left unsaid in a positive, loving way. Okay? To watch someone die well or go well is a wonderful thing, man. It's like the the victory scene in Braveheart or uh, one of those wonderful movies uh, where, you know, there's this struggle all this time and then at the end, the battle is won. And it's so gratifying, okay? To see someone who has lived an entire life and now that it's gotten to the end, they are going well, they are dying well, with love, joy, peace, making things right, making it more of a celebration than a mourning, uh, not, not terrified trying to hang on to every minute of, of life because they're so afraid of death. No, they are, they are walking into the valley with their head up, with courage and strength. That is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I can promise you, if you feel like you never contributed a lot to uh, maybe the people in your life, die well. Go transition from this world to the next well, and that will be a huge gift you can give to everyone who loves and cares about you. Uh, It will cause you to go way up on their respect scale, and it will inspire them not only to die well themselves, but how they live their life so that when they do get there, they can die well. All right? Um, again, I would take the time now, not your next funeral or not when you're dying, to think about, I am going to die someday, so let me live in a place where I'm always ready to die. Don't mean I want to die. No, not at all. But none of us have a guarantee, okay? I could walk out the door and get hit by a truck today, and that's it. And the same for you. All right? So, one thing I do is I try to live always, every day, constantly, in a place where I'm ready. I am ready now. I, I, I have made everything right with, the, with, with every person I need to make something right with. I've done the best I could, and what I messed up, I've said I'm sorry, I've repented, I've, I've, 
I've gotten back up on the horse and tried to do better. Um, I'm right with God. If, if I believe in God, I'm right with God. Uh, I guess if you don't believe in God, you've got to be right with your heart, your conscience, okay? Well, don't wait another week. Start living that way now. And you may not know what that is until you meditate, pray, take some time, close your eyes, and, and envision your, fun- your dying, your death, and your funeral. And if you were sitting on the front seat at your own funeral, what would you wish you would be able to say about your life? That I did my best, I had some rough times, but then I turned it around. Uh, I I tried to make amends for everything I did wrong. I tried to make things right with other people. I tried to... uh, tell the truth. I tried to be honest. I tried to treat people with love and kindness all the time. One of the easiest things you can do that makes the most difference in people's lives is simply to be kind. And you would be amazed at how much, what a big difference that makes. And it will transform you if you start practicing regular daily kindness with everyone and everything. Okay? Um, <clears throat> they say that the biggest fear in, in the world, and I've seen a number of polls over this over a number of years, but this is typically true, um, that the biggest fear in the world except for death and sometimes even more than death, is the fear of public speaking. And um, that is so fascinating to me because, again, as we said at the first, your fight-or-flight mechanism, your death mechanism, is not supposed to be activated unless you're in imminent mortal danger, meaning the truck is about to pull over on you. Somebody is chasing you with a knife or a gun. You are about to fall off of a 30-foot cliff. Something like that, okay? Well, then, if that's true, then why in the world is the number one fear or number two fear a fear of getting up in front of a few people and opening your mouth and talking. How in the world could that be the biggest fear? Or, or number two? There's no way you're going to get killed doing that. I mean, I, I'm assuming what you say won't be that bad. No, there, there's no way you're going to get killed. There's no way you're going to die. That is proof of the devolution of our memories over thousands of years where each generation's traumas get passed down to the next generation and then they pile theirs on top of it and pass it all to the next generation. Okay? So, during your day, anytime you experience stress or something in the anger family, anger, irritation, frustration, resentment, bitterness, or feel your heart start to speed up and you're not exercising, you have just become afraid of dying. So whether it's over taking out the trash, 
or not getting to see a ball game or traffic or somebody looking at you funny or not getting the raise or the thousand other things, every time you get a little bit upset about something like that or experience anxiety, stress, or something in the anger family, you are believing that that thing will literally physically kill you. At least in your mind you are, your unconscious mind. All right? Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Getting up and talking for five minutes would never kill me. uh, Someone cutting in front of me in traffic would never kill me. The stock market going down would never kill me. Something about the garbage would never kill me. Some uh, disagreement with my wife would never kill me, okay? Well, yeah, that's true, but your body is reacting as if it would. So, in essence, you're living a lie every time that happens, okay? This week, start catching that lie. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why am I upset about this? Um, I mean, this is about money. There's no way that money is going to result in me physically dying. So, I'm believing a lie about this. And you are. And the lie is that it will kill me. It will not kill you. That is a lie that comes from thousands of years of devolution of memory and it'll never stop until you confront it. So every time it happens, grab it and say out loud or in your mind if you're in a crowd or something, that is a lie. That money, that traffic, that TV thing that happened on TV, that sports event, that that is not going to kill me. And I ask my mind and heart to heal the wrong belief I have that that's going to kill me so I don't keep reacting to it all my life. And you can use some of our tools for that that work fabulous to heal that underlying thing that's causing you to react as if something is going to kill you that is an absolute lie and never will. So, about death, yeah, it is sure. It's going to come. One of the few things. Death and taxes, right? So, be ready now, not later. Dying. Have lived the sort of life that you go well. You die well. And it is an inspiration and a gift and a great help to everyone who you love and care about and who watches that. Alright? So always be ready so that when the time comes you can go well without fear, without anxiety. I did the best I could. I made lots of mistakes, but I did the best I could. And then at funerals, let it cause you to reset, to rethink your life and say, what could I do better? What, what, how could I live that would be more spiritually correct in light of love, joy, peace, and truth. Okay? And then, really do it. Use some of our tools to help you do it, but do it so that the one sure thing in your life, you are going to die, you will do it well, 
You'll, you will be ready. And there's nothing to fear. <clears throat> so, I understand um, death, dying, funerals can be so tragic, so heartbreaking. Um, if you go to a funeral, as far as I'm concerned, the rule is love them, speak the truth, and be kind. Don't, don't tell them a lie. Don't tell them that was a great person if, you know, everyone knows they spent their whole life doing wrong. Uh, usually, if you lie to someone at a funeral, they feel it and it hurts worse. So be as positive as you can, as kind as you can, as loving as you can, but speak the truth, okay? And cause it to relook at yourself. Are you ready? And then start changing your life so that you live in a state of readiness. And when the time comes, you will go well and be an inspiration to others and turn it into a positive. Okay? Uh, I believe you can turn anything into a positive. Do uh, Victor Frankl, who's one of my heroes, who went through the Holocaust, uh, talks in his book and in his uh, program called Logotherapy, and the book is one of my favorites, Man's Search for Meaning, um, that he was even able to turn the Holocaust for him internally into a positive. That when he got out, inspired him to change the world, write one of the best-selling books ever, and help so many people in pain for the rest of their lives. So I believe anything can be turned into a positive if we will allow love to have its way and not run from death, not run from dying, not run from the fear or fight it, but deal with it in truth and love uh, and I believe you will be the better for it. So um, I hope this uh, makes some... Uh, oh, uh, one last thing. Uh, of course, your worldview has a great deal to do with how you think and deal with death and dying. Um, are you an atheist? Do you believe that there's nothing after this? That when we die, we're just like a cow in the field that died and there's nothing after this? Well, that would absolutely have to affect your opinion of how you live your life. And, and I would think if that's what you believe, that there is nothing after this life, so there is maybe no absolute morality, it's survival of the fittest, then maybe the best life you could live would be to um, get what you want when you want, as much as you can. The problem is the way we're built doesn't confirm that. The way we're built the way we work best and are happiest is when we are acting and living and practicing love. And love means making yourself vulnerable to hurt or being taken advantage of by other people. Love puts the other person at least equal to yourself, maybe even ahead. And when we live that way, that's when we work right as far as our brain and our body and we don't get as sick and our immune system and all of that. When we act in selfishness to get what I want when I want, 
that's when we start to malfunction and that creates more and more stress the longer we do it. Okay? So your worldview would certainly affect this. Um, but fortunately, at least in my thinking, approximately 97% of all people in the world believe in God or a spiritual reality. So they do not believe that this is the end. And I believe that as well. So um, if you believe that, then there is always a place, a real place for optimism that what comes next is better than what we have here. And so if someone is going on to something better, um, you can't feel too bad for them. You can grieve for yourself. And, and that's absolutely fine. Um, I would say if you've been grieving for a year or more, um, you need to maybe refocus your mind and heart. Time to start living your best life. I think that's what that person would want you to do. Uh, grieving's typically about six months, um, but is different with everyone. But again, to help with the grieving, use some of the tools we have, but also think about the good times with that person. And if you believe there's something after this life, the very real possibility that they've gone to something better. And let it inspire you to get ready and always be in a place where you're ready and if and when the time comes to go well. But in every situation having to do with that, you're going to act in love, you're going to be kind, you're going to tell the truth. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, death is really a celebration. Um, scripture says that, giving an analogy of what this life is like, says it's like the teapot where a little mist appears for just like two or three seconds you see it and then it's gone. That that's what this world is like compared to eternity and heaven, which is endless. When we've been there a hundred thousand million years, we'll just be getting started. And we will have a different body that evidently will not be subject to all the uh, hurting and painful and tempting things of this earth. There'll be no sorrow there, no night there, no tears there. Um, so that is cause for celebration. Now, whenever a child dies, that is the saddest thing in the world to me. And, and, and I thank God I've not had to go through that yet and hope I never do. Um, but, but scripturally, one of the reasons why children die is so they will not have to suffer the pain of this earth. Okay? And so, uh, when children die, I, I just assume that. That, okay, well maybe this is so they would not have to suffer great pain that they would have had to suffer had they lived. Or, maybe this is just such a wonderful, special person, God wants them now. Okay? So then the crying and the weeping is for us. Okay? Um, I think this is also a reason, if you're a follower of Jesus, to um, not delay talking to someone about the Lord. Uh, your job is not whether they react to that and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior or not. That's not your job. 
Your job is just to speak that truth in love, all right? It's between them and God, what their response. So you have, you have done what you should do, um, just speaking the truth in love. And I would say maybe uh, even before you do that, show them the truth in love by the way you live. You know, when I used to do a lot of counseling and, and a lot of couples and marriage counseling, I always believed that if I could get one of them, I'd get both of them. I didn't know which one. More often than not, it was the woman. But if I could get, I didn't have to get both of them. If I could get one of them, I'd get both of them. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, what I was really teaching them about was real love versus fake love. I call it love A versus love B. And love A is the fake love because it's the one most people do. Real love is that road less traveled, you know, from scripture. The way is narrow that leads to, you know, the wide way is the one that leads to destruction, okay? Um, but when I taught them about from the Bible, from scripture, what real love is, Nothing held back, no plan B, no safety net, keeping no record of wrongs, being willing to suffer any and all pain now, tomorrow, even forever, and, and doing all of that forever, no matter what. Um, I could start to see a change in one of their eyes as they started to understand. And then they would come to understand and do it, and it would change them totally. And when that happened, that's when I celebrated. Because I knew 99 times out of 100, if she starts living in real love, he's going to start loving her like he never has before. And their relationship is going to heal. And that's exactly what would happen. Okay, so I would go back, if you haven't seen it, and watch the section on love A versus love B to see which one are you living, okay? And of course, as a believer, a follower of Jesus, um, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Because of the grace of God. And as long as I'm right with God through Jesus, every sin I commit is forgiven before I ever do it. It's paid for by Jesus, and he owns it because he paid for it. So it is not my sin. It's as if I never sinned. I'm declared innocent, not, not guilty. So I no longer have to fear death because I'm walking in a state of grace. If you, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses from... So, with that in mind, if you do have a fear of death, there's a good chance you may not be right with God. So, use picture your own funeral and... What are your regrets? What are the things you're glad about? But let that use that as inspiration to get right with God and stay right with God. Okay? Then you're in a state of grace and you don't have to worry 
if I die, I die and I go to a way better place. And yeah, I'll miss my family, but I'll see him again, hopefully. All right? So being right with God takes away your fear of death. Or it should. So if you're right with God and you still have fear of death, you need to go reread uh especially Romans and, and the Sermon on the Mount and and because grace is too wonderful to really even wrap your mind around a lot of the time. It's so incredible. I have a guarantee insurance policy no matter what happens. I'm saved. All right? So get to that place. Stay in that place. Help other people get to that place. Because the number one fear in all of life is the fear of death. And God has taken it away. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. In Jesus, by grace. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, blessed day.